Our business is inherently risky. This technology provides so much opportunity for us. Of course, we want everybody to benefit from it and keep folks safe on the ground. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. All across the country, America's electric companies are building smarter energy infrastructure to integrate more clean energy and to enhance the energy grid's reliability and resilience to all hazards. A critical component of our industry's resilience strategy is taking flight. Unmanned aircraft systems, sometimes called UAS, but more commonly known as drones, are increasingly helpful tools that support a range of operations, including line and generator inspections, restoration and recovery efforts, and much, much more. On this episode of Electric Perspectives, EEI's General Counsel and Senior Vice President of Clean Energy, Emily Fisher, is joined by Eric Schwartz, Manager of Technology Innovation at Florida Power and Light, and Eileen Lockhart, UAS Program Manager at Excel Energy, to explore the sky-high potential for drones to contribute to safety, efficiency, and resilience, and to discuss the steps needed to fully realize that potential. Emily, take it away. Thank you, Brian. As Brian noted, I'm Emily Fisher. I'm EEI's General Counsel, Corporate Secretary, and Senior Vice President for Clean Energy. I'm excited to be back on the podcast, and I am really excited to be joined today by Eric and Eileen, who are going to help me talk about the critical role that UAS, although I have to say I prefer to call them drones, can play in our industry. Um, I am really excited also that all of you have decided to join us for this conversation. Um, as Brian mentioned in his introduction, uh, EEI's members, America's electric companies, are really using drones for a variety of reasons. I just started learning more about this about a year and a half ago uh, when some regulatory issues popped up, in case you were wondering how a lawyer got involved with drones. And that is when I had the opportunity to meet both Eileen and Eric for the first time. And, and I have to say, both of them are tremendous leaders who are working every day to make it possible for our companies to use drones in more applications. And there are some real benefits to using this technology, and I'm looking forward to exploring that topic with both of them today. Uh, but first, I'm going to ask both Eileen and Eric to introduce themselves and just talk a little bit about their company's UAS programs. Eileen, I'm going to ask you to go first. Thanks, Emily. Good morning, everybody. My name is Eileen Lockhart. I am the Unmanned Aircraft Systems Program Manager for Excel Energy. Um, Excel Energy runs an enterprise UAS program, which means we are a supportive program that supports our operations, and we really look for innovative ways to enhance safety and, and, and uh, provide benefits to our company. So drones are just such a great tool for our company. Our, we are very excited to implement them across operations. Awesome. Thanks for that start, Eileen. Eric, how about you? Yeah, good morning uh, as well to everyone. Um, you know, Eric Schwartz with Florida Power and Light. And, you know, similar to Eileen, right, we, we see drones as a tool in the toolbox and, and another tool that we can use towards safety and use on the proactive side. Um, Florida Power and Light, um, also our parent company, Nexar Energy, uses drones on a daily basis from looking at, you know, inaccessible locations to poles and wires to solar fields and wind farms and, and battery storage and, and even environmental. And we, we see it as a safe way of being able to look at locations that 
you know, hundred years ago when our company started, you know, you never could even imagine looking at. So I'm going to dive right in. Both of you mentioned safety in your introduction, and I would hope that we could have a little bit of a conversation about, you know, what drones can help us do in ways that help us increase safety for our workforce and for the communities we serve. I think maybe some people would be surprised that that's the first reason why we would be using drones, especially when I think prior to getting to know both of you and learning about our industry's drone work, I really, my vision of drones was small kids, like flying them around my neighborhood and hitting things, right? So I don't always often think of safety first, but it really is safety first for us. So um, <laughs> Eric, you talked about um, inspecting inaccessible locations and poles and wires. Um, I'm going to ask Eileen to, to sort of lead off on that. Talk about what you use drones for with respect to inspecting poles and wires and maybe how we did that work before drones so that people would have a better sense of what we mean by the safety case. The utility industry inherently is a dangerous environment. Um, our employees are put in very unique situations such as uh, inspecting poles and wires and having to enter confined space. And when you think about the, the beauty of drones, it's really all about keeping our employees safe on the ground while they're inspecting high infrastructure like poles and wires, or uh, you know, preventing them from entering confined space or radio radioactive type of environments. Drones offer so many opportunities. It's, it's actually a, a really cool, innovative use for this technology. Um, at Excel, you know, we use them for power line inspections. Uh, we can uh, supplement them with helicopters. So meaning instead of using uh, helicopters, we can use drone technology to get really close to the wires and the poles. We can use them in various different confined spaces. So inside our boilers, inside our, our reactors, all of these different uh, places, we can actually fly this technology and get a really good sense of the integrity and the health of our system. And so uh, this, you know, drones really provide so many benefits for employees, not to mention it's safe, it's easy, and it's fun to, to use the technology. Yeah, I want to come back to the fun part as we continue this conversation. But, um, you know, you mentioned safety and, and um, avoiding having to put people in helicopters. Like, I think, unfortunately, something that people might not know is that we actually have uh, helicopter-related fatalities almost every year. And we so do. if you can keep people on the ground, you can keep them safe. Um, right. Eric, you also mentioned inspecting other things besides poles and wires. You talked about batteries and storage and, and maybe also some of your renewable um, energy infrastructure. Can you talk a little bit about that use of the drones? No, absolutely. Uh, you know, and we look at it as a holistic approach, right? As I said earlier, to where it's a tool in the toolbox to be used by anyone across the, our company as a whole. Um, you know, within Florida and then outside of Florida, FPL Next Air operates in over, I believe, 42 states in Canada. And so outside of Florida, it's all solar, wind, transmission, and battery storage. And so to continue to offer as efficient as possible, you know, we look at the drone as another tool in the toolbox to do blade inspections, to do solar panel inspections, and also transmission line inspections outside of Florida with those groups and then battery storage. Um, but we also have been looking in the past years is in Florida, we're a very environmental friendly company. We've got uh, Manatee Lagoon where we work with the local Florida Wildlife Commission to do manatee account inspections. We do at our Turkey Point facility, which is a nuclear facility down in 
Homestead, we do a saltwater crocodile research where actually yesterday we were with NBC News doing filming, you know, with them to do hunting for saltwater crocodiles and eggs and so forth. And, but when you think about it for years, these employees would go into the water and go hunting for crocodiles. And now they can use a drone to go look for them. But I mean, also it's just the simpler things as well to where, as Eileen mentioned, right? Everyone needs power. For the most part, everyone years ago always had a pole in their rear of in the back of their house. Imagine us having to go in everyone's backyard on a daily basis, you know, from being chased by dogs to, you know, other safety areas. You know, the drone allows us to stay off people's property and do that inspection. But on top of it, when you're doing that inspection, you're only doing it from the ground looking up. You know, now you have a 360 degree view and especially in Florida with salt spray, lightning capital of the world, termites, a lot of stuff that everything is really happening down or on the top. Looking down, the drone offers a unique style of inspection that we haven't had for years. You made me think of something, Eric. So like for our wind turbines, those those are, I don't know, four or five hundred feet tall. And usually, you know, our, our folks have to climb those turbines and have to propel down and inspect them. And the drones really provide such a, an awesome opportunity because you don't have to do that anymore. You can just go fly and, and check things out and make sure things are safe before even having to climb 500 feet above the ground. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I think those are both really, both of you mentioned such interesting use cases. And of course, Eric, the you could not pay me to get in the water to count. Um, me neither. <laughs> no way. No yeah. way. So um, the, the things that people wouldn't expect that uh, you have to do if you work for an electric company. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier that I really didn't know too much about the use of UAS um, by our member companies until about a year and a half ago. And, and I said, I'm a lawyer, so what would I know about that? But it turns out the reason I got involved is that, of course, the use of drones is regulated, right? And it's regulated by the Federal Aviation Administration. And they have rules, because of course they do. Um, I, I personally am happy that the FAA has rules. When I fly in an airplane, I want to make sure that I, I get back down on the ground safely. Um, but they have a lot of rules for drones that don't often... Um, sort of comport with how different drones are from larger passenger aircraft. And so we're in this kind of interesting spot right now where the FAA and users like electric companies and other folks who want to use drones are trying to figure out how to take the existing regulatory structure and make sure that it is useful and allows us to continue to do all this really innovative, cool work with UAS. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that regulatory structure and the work that some of that both of you are doing along these lines. So, but first I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that um, most of the time you are required to fly a drone within the line of sight of the pilot, right? And you still call the person who is operating the drone a pilot, even though they're on the ground, right? So most of our work is within visual line of sight. Um, it would be a lot easier if we could fly them beyond the visual line of sight. And that is a pretty big deal from the FAA perspective. So Eileen, I was hoping you could talk about the really innovative regulatory work that Excel Energy has done to try and make it possible for not only Excel, but other member companies to fly beyond visual line of sight or what we now, what I now know is called BB loss. 
<laughs> so could you talk a little bit about the the BB loss work that you guys have done and and you know what you've learned about our ability to fly UAS BB loss? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So uh, back in 2016, Excel Energy uh, decided that they really wanted to take a leadership role in the integration of UAS into our company. And so we negotiated a partnership with the Federal Aviation Administration that was specifically tied to one of the reauthorization acts that was all about protecting, inspecting critical infrastructure. And, you know, at the time, we felt it was critically important that the FAA understood the utility industry and made rules and regulations that would allow us to benefit from this technology. So what we did was we we established a partnership with them and we matched it with what I call a national use case, which is linear infrastructure inspections. And we developed a program where we would utilize drones to inspect power lines beyond the operator's line of sight. But at the time, there was no regulation to allow us to do that. So we entered into a partnership for safety program that let us pilot or test drone technology beyond the visual line of sight within a commercial environment or within you know, our, our environment. And it's been a learning process, Emily. I mean, we've had to really, every step of the way, figure out all of these technical issues that really just weren't apparent when we first went into that partnership. And I think the result has been, we've gone through several different iterations of regulatory approvals and waivers. Today, we can inspect our power lines using UAS technology beyond the line of sight. Um, the technology itself is extremely useful, but there's there are some risks, or there's some limitations, I would say, with the technology, meaning you know it can't go as far as a helicopter, um, these are electric aircraft, the battery runs out, you know, you have to make sure that you are getting the images that you need to inspect it. But, you know, now that we've gone through this process, we're finally to a place where we figured out, or we think we figured out how this can not only benefit Excel, but other utilities. So we've really turned our focus to helping others to get this technology on board so that we can all use it routinely and safely. And the FAA has caught on to that. And they are now really leaning in, in terms of helping utilities across the United States to leverage this technology in a safe and efficient manner, kind of like the way that we've been doing it. So it's, it's, it's been a journey for sure, but I think at the end of the day, it is the right thing to do. Um, you know, our, our business is inherently risky. This technology provides so much opportunity for us. Of course, we want everybody to benefit from it and keep folks safe on the ground. So um, I, I'm pleased that the FAA has finally come along and it's helping our industry uh, really adopt this in a scalable fashion. So I know Excel has done so much foundational work to help demonstrate how we can operate drones safely, both with respect to the air risk and the ground risk. And I know that we're all trying to build off of that as an industry to be able to make the larger safety case. Like I said, I, FAA is really a safety regulator and we're an industry that's about safety. So we, we should have some common ground. But but Eric, um, Florida Power and Light Next Era also is one of the you know few electric companies that have, has received one of these BB loss waivers. You guys have a slightly different approach to your program. Can you, you talk a little bit about your process and what you've learned from the, the sort of work you've been able to do beyond visual line of sight? 
No, absolutely. You know, on, on our side, we, you know, every utility's infrastructure is a little different. You know, what, you know, learning from what Excel did and Eileen did with their initial PSP partnership for safety plan and, and, and also Excel and FPL are the only two electric utilities, at least at this time, I know, to, to have a PSP with the FAA. But um, we looked at our infrastructure and our use cases and needs. And on, on that side, you know, our distribution substations and our you know, I would say our feeders and our circuits are so close to each other. You know, Florida is a different environment than what Excel operates in Colorado and all the, you know, the, the four other states that they run in. And so our average substation to substation is 4.7 miles. Now we still have feeders and circuits that go 70 miles in the middle of the state, but the majority, 80% of our customers are within 20 miles of the coastline of both the East and the West Coast and all also up in Gulf Power and the Panhandle. And so what we started to look at is what is the truth, what we feel the future. Um, it's not manned aviation. It's not, you know, sitting there with the controller, um, you know, man, flying the drone. And so we've been investigating and investing in drone in the box solutions to where eventually we see a highly automated beyond visual line of sight. So it's taking it one step further than just beyond visual line of sight, but being able to put a drone in the box in the substation and then manage it and fly it from a remote location you know, anywhere in the world, basically, to where then proactively you're able to go look at this circuit on a daily basis, or even if there's an outage, reactively look at it, you know, day and night. Um, on the other side as well, we're also investing and looking at and are starting to fly a large scale UAS to where we look at, you know, under 55 pound UAS can only hold so many, so much payload and so many sensors before it gets to that limit of 55 pounds. And then you have to go at other regulations um, with the FAA. And so we've been looking at a large scale UAS to be able to fly multiple sensors and collect multiple different other payloads and opportunity for, for our customers and the company. Thank you for that uh, discussion, both Eric and Eileen. Eric, I have to say that I hope um, that somebody who loves to play video games or whose kids love to play video games heard what you just said. Cause like, it basically sounds like that's a dream job for somebody somewhere where you can like remotely control a drone, um, like your, your, your video game skills might really come in handy. Um, not to minimize the skills that actually are required to fly a drone because my son has one and I have attempted to fly it and it's extremely difficult um, to control. I but mean, I, kids, kids in today's age, you know, you know, that, you know, all of our kids, right. My, I have boys that are, tw I have three boys, twins that are 10 and a four-year-old, but I mean, even the four-year-old, you know, their eye hand coordinations with iPads and all the different game consoles these days, you know, they can fly them better than any of us that are, you know, that have been in the industry for a while. So we can add that to the drones list. Not only is it increased safety, it's a job creator, right? <laughs> new jobs yes. for a new economy. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I also wanted to to come back and talk a little bit. You mentioned the weight limitations, right? The 55 pounds, the, the waiver that you all have received in order to fly beyond visual line of sight is called a part 107 waiver. It has a bunch of other limitations. And one of them is that you, you really can't fly anything that weighs more than 55 pounds. And yeah, I think people would be surprised to learn that by the time you put the remote sensing equipment and the cameras on it, those things get really heavy, right? So that's one of our challenges as an industry is the, the development of a, of a UAS that would suit our particular use case. And, and that's probably a conversation for another day. But I know that uh, at Excel, you guys are really investigating other options so that you can have bigger payloads and actually do more, right, Eileen? Right. I mean, so for our use case, we've got 
transmission line that spans across eight states, 24,000 miles of it, you know, having to land the drone every 10 miles or so is onerous. And it's because of that 55 pound weight requirement. So we are looking at, you know, more advanced technology that can not only fly longer, but can hold multiple sensors on it. So, um, which will drive it over the 55 pound threshold. Um, you know, we feel that at the end of the day, even though it's higher than 55 pounds that we're looking at, it's still safer than a helicopter. It's still safer than putting folks in a helicopter, very close to you know, high voltage electric infrastructure. And we would much rather use that technology to get high resolution imagery and high quality data from the ground or remote location. And so, yeah, um, you know, drone technology, there's a lot of things that you have to look into. And, you know, Emily, one thing that you said that kind of made me think about something, you know, originally the, when drone came, drones came to the commercial market, the FAA didn't have regulation that was, you know, suited for drones. All their regulation has been for traditional general aircraft, manned aircraft. So when you take this new type of airplane and you take the, the man out of the airplane or the, the woman out of the airplane, it really causes a lot of problems from the regulator. <laughs> they don't know how to regulate it. They don't know who is responsible. You know, there's no pilot on board. And so it really opens up this, I guess, can of worms. And that's why I think the FAA and EEI and Eric, myself, and so many others in the utility industry have really latched on to this because we see the value, we see the societal impact that this can have, and we see the opportunity to really take a step change and um, I'd say create new regulation that is aimed for the future, for autonomous operations, for remotely piloted operations. And that to me is really interesting. And I think it's gonna be a game changer for our industry. Yeah, totally agree with that. And that's a perfect segue to talk about um, an effort that uh, you are leading and that Eric is um, a critical participant in. And that is the fact that um, uh, earlier this year, in the beginning of the summer, the FAA announced an advisory rulemaking committee comprised of the FAA and a range of stakeholders to look at um, the potential for new regulations to support the expanded use of UAS in a range of applications, including in the you know, uh, utility infrastructure inspection space. And so um, Eileen, as, as one of the co-leads of the ARC, could you just give us a quick overview of, of what the ARC is doing and what its goals are? Sure. So, I mean, I think the genesis of the ARC really stemmed from our industry and a lot of the main players. And so what the FAA has done is they created a coalition of industry experts to really take a look at this technology across the board and focus on infrastructure inspections, small package delivery, industrial applications, and precision agriculture applications, and figure out a scalable approach that will enable us to use this long-term for many years to come and unlock the safety benefits of this technology. And the ARC in itself is, is really a, a unique opportunity for industry to come together as a team and, and really agree upon what is acceptable. What, what does society, you know, how can society benefit from this technology? What does that actually mean? How do our employees benefit? You know, how should we regulate this technology? And that's 
really what's special about this because this is brand new. This is, you know, innovation at its best. Um, and, you know, the FAA has recognized that. They've heard our voices um, and they really are serious about creating new laws and regulations that enable us to scale this technology across the United States in a very safe and compliant manner. The other thing about this is it's not about just enabling drone technology, but it's also enabling the ability for drones and traditional aviation to live in the same space and to also respect people's privacy, respect people's you know, ability to understand the technology and really gain some economical and societal benefits and, and trigger some, I'd say, some new opportunities for job creations and various other things that are going on. So I think the ARC is a, is a great opportunity for industry to come together and I'm thrilled that we are all part of it. Um, and looking forward to seeing how the FAA will implement these new rules. Yeah, thank you for that overview. Eric, I know you were a key participant, a lead of one of the phase one groups, ARC is in phase two now, and expecting to have some report outs um, by the end of the year that FAA can take as it thinks about a rulemaking. Do you have any observations about, about the ARC and your participation in it? I think that, you know, Eileen summed it up really nicely on the side of what it's it's looking at everything. So I was uh, the co-lead of the environmental group. So we're looking at noise levels. We're looking at effects on environmental, um, not say privacy, but the, the potential of you know, privacy in other areas. And, and it really sums it up is it's not just, hey, what can we do to make this fly? It's what are the effects long-term to the environment you know, on, in this subgroup, right? The environment of humans, members of the public, to environmental animals, to battery. What happens if a drone were to crash in the middle of nowhere? What happens with the lithium ion battery or, or the battery and so forth? So, you know, they're really taking a look at multiple different avenues, every single thing that could potentially possibly happen to then be able to make this a, a streamlined process to allow the innovation and technology to move forward for, you know, for the United States. I'm also on the ARC and like, it's so interesting to hear some of the like, I think our use case is very like near term as evidenced by the fact that you guys are using UAS right now for the infrastructure inspections we're talking about. But some of those conversations are about like a little bit like, I think about the Jetsons, like a totally different world in which we have a lot of small things lying around in the air all the time. It's interesting to think about, but really in the, in the time of, uh, of a pandemic, thinking about uh, remote package delivery has been really interesting. Um, yeah, all sorts of unusual true. use cases that people have come up with. Right, and I think our use case in the utility industry, I mean, it just makes sense, right? Yeah. I mean, the utility industry employs how many people across the United States? I mean, I, I don't remember the stat, but it's significant. And you know, any opportunity to embrace technology to make their jobs safer, easier, more efficient is a no-brainer. Yep, I, I love that about it. And I love our collective ability to make sure that our use case gets heard. Because um, sometimes when you're talking about the flying cars, we have to bring them back to reality a little bit. <laughs> but um, since you guys have experience putting together a drone program within an electric company, do you have any words of wisdom for other companies that are thinking about deploying drones? I know a lot of other EEI member companies um, have smaller scale drone programs and, and really use them uh, within the line of sight. 
Um, but as people are thinking about gearing up bigger programs, like are there best best practices or things that you would suggest that that they think about? Eric, maybe I'll ask you to go first on that one. It's tough because with with UAS, it's not a one, it's not cookie cutter. It's not a one size fits all. You know, you really need to, and when I always talk to new people that are looking at starting a drone program, whether it's a utility or, or any company, it's you really need to take it from the business side and what are your use cases and what are you trying to solve? You know, is it safety? Is it reducing truck rolls? Is it, re, you know, speeding up time, you know, for say tower inspections, like for, you know, AT&T Bell South and, and, and so forth. And you, I think people, even with BV loss, they, they throw out there and say, well, I can't run a program without BV loss. Well, you know, so far this year, Florida Power and Light has conducted over 64,000 flights, all V loss, right? It's all line of sight because that's what is only needed. You know, BV loss will allow us to do other use cases and so forth, but it, it's just the fact that you really need to see what your use case is, what your customer base is, and what your customers are telling you, and how can you save money, save, you know, improve safety, reliability, quality, and so forth. And that's the biggest thing I think people don't realize. They they think uh, there's this golden nugget all the way at the end there that, that you need, you know, that a drone is going to do. And it's a lot simpler from just taking a step back and understanding what is the true need and is the tool, right? It's a tool in the toolbox that you can use to be safer, be more efficient, be more precise. Eileen, do you, do you have any thoughts to add on to that about folks who might be thinking about starting a drone program? Yeah, um, I think Eric really said it well. So, you know, you want to think about it holistically. You want to have support from your leaders. You know, don't try to stand this up by yourself. Your company really needs to embrace it. And if once they embrace it, then the use cases will come, your purpose will come. But really instilling that vision and that purpose, I think, is foundational for a successful drone program, for sure. That's great. We, we've talked a lot about using drones and drone use cases that are kind of more consistent with normal like operations. I wanted to take a minute before we close here to talk about drones in emergency situations, um, because I think that's a really unique um, use case and something that could be really essential um, with respect to the resiliency and the reliability of the electric system. As we electrify more things and as electricity becomes more, even more central to everyday life, um, you know, our companies are looking at resilience and reliability. And so two use cases that really jump out to me are um, the linear infrastructure inspection, but particularly in places that are prone to wildfire, so we can minimize our risks um, of, of having power lines interact with vegetation and spark fires. But um, also in a post-storm response mode. And, and so, Eric, I thought maybe it would be useful if you could talk a little bit um, about the use of drones after hurricanes. And I know we're not out of hurricane season, so I want to feel like knock wood that we're not calling any more hurricanes down upon anyone this year. But can you talk a little bit about using drones like after a storm uh, and what what that can do to help you with um, response time and restoring electricity quickly? No, absolutely. I, I mean, it's a game changer. It, it goes back to 2017 Hurricane Irma, you know, which was probably the, the first aha moment for drones with NextAir FPL to where we deployed over 73 pilots across the state for 10 days. And you know, it was just amazing to see the footage that we were able to bring back from all the flooding 
and the down vegetation that was blocking roads and communities to get into. But it's the it's the tool that we are able to use to get into those inaccessible areas, whether it's flooding or, or some type of debris blocking an entryway into a community or down a transmission corridor or so forth that we now can bypass that debris or bypass that blockage, get a sense of where everything is or what's down, what needs to be replaced, bring all that material to the edge of say a flooded area. And then once the flood waters reside, you know, we can go in and restore a lot faster, quicker. We already have a plan together and so forth. And it's been a game changer. I mean, we, it's part of, it's a standard process now. You know, back in 2017, it was a two-person team that ran the drone storm response. Now it's a 20-person team that that manages and on top of, and that's just internal, not pilots. So you can you know, you can see how the the value that it's brought to the company and that we've seen over the years, and it continues to to prove out. I think that's such a um, important and like unexpected use of drones. So I love being able to highlight that, and then. Eileen, you're in totally different geography, as we mentioned earlier, and you're in some areas that are more fire prone. Can you talk a little bit about Excel's desire to use drones to, to minimize wildfire risks? Yeah, so we're, we have wildfires in the state of Colorado as well as in Texas and even in Minneapolis area. And so, you know, <laughs> using drone technology really benefits us because not only can we see vegetation encroachment, you know, how close trees are to our lines, we can detect hotspots with the drone technology. And then even after a wildfire happens, we can take a look at how the vegetation burned and how that would impact, you know, roads and infrastructure. So for example, we had a a wildfire last year where it burned the complete side of a mountain that ran along I-70. And after that wildfire was over, we used drones to just, you know, see if there was any hotspots left over. And the amount of vegetation it actually burned, it, it increased rock slide um, capability. And so it, you know, loosened the vegetation to the point where now uh, there was rock slides and I-70 shut down for, you know, days and days and days. And we couldn't see that from the ground. We couldn't see that, you know, from a helicopter. You could only see it from very certain, you know, specific situations. And so there's a lot of interesting uses when it comes to drone technology and wildfire mitigation that our company and many other companies are really looking into. Um, we're also looking into things like smart sensors, right? You know, I mean, it, maybe it's not a drone, maybe it's a sensor that just stays in the forest and it kind of can tell you the health of that forest and, you know, some of the pollution and the air quality, et cetera. So, um, you know, just like Eric, drone technology in these emergency situations are, is really surprising the amount of benefit that you can find from using them. So, our company is really excited to to deploy that. Well, thank you both for spending some time today talking to me about drone use cases within the electric sector. And thank you both for being such tremendous leaders and sort of pushing this technology forward and, and helping to create this um, new regulatory regime that we're gonna need in order to make sure this technology can provide the full range of benefits. Before we go, I wanted to ask you guys um, a personal question. One is, do you have a drone? Um, and two is how did how did this become your job, right? Like I think that we're talking about like kids having cool jobs. I bet if you told someone you would have a job like dealing with drones all day long, people would be really surprised and excited about that. So 
Um, do you have one? Do you know how to fly it? And how did how did you get into this work? Um, I'm gonna start with Eric and then end with Eileen. Um, so I personally, um, my one of my boys has a drone, um, a small little Mavic Mini. Um, so I don't personally have one, but um, you know, I initially, as Eileen said a long time ago in 2015, 14, the FAA came out with what was called a 333. So you had to have a be a private pilot to fly drones initially. And then in 2017, they allowed and came up with part 107, which allowed anyone to come off the street and take their part 107 exam. So since then I've had my, my part 107. Um, I used to fly a lot for the company probably daily. Um, but it's been a while since I've flown, you know, for FPL. Um, and then on the other side, I am in the process of getting my private pilot's license as well um, for our, our large drone program um, cool. too. But it, um, you know, it happened to where, uh, as my title says, I'm a manager of technology and innovation. I, I've been on a team called Smart Grid Innovation for FPNL since 2014. And that group, ideally, my initial role was to look at technology innovation that's five to 15 years in the future from rovers, wearable devices, AR, VR. Uh, drones as well, image recognition, virtual reality, all that kind of, you know, machine learning and AI and, you know, fail fast, fail often. And drones has been the one technology that kind of not to say one, but has been able to bring, we've been able to bring in and really bring benefit to our customers and to the company and cost saving, safety, improve reliability and so forth. And so as time, you know, as an entrepreneur, right, as a company, you know, starts to get more and more of your time, you make that decision of where do you go? And so the company decided to finally make a standalone drone group, which, I, which I've been running now for a few years. I love that story. Fail fast, fail often, and, and look at all the new technology and then go with the one that provides the most benefit. Um, Eileen, how about you? Yeah, so our family has a few drones. <laughs> um, we we have a, a, you know, a, a little fleet, but my favorite are the racing drones. I can't help it. I love to set up little obstacle courses outside and just have some fun. That's, that's my favorite thing to do. And my kids, they they are uh, they are starting to adopt it too. So that's really fun to watch. But how Excel got into the drone business really was uh, an employee-ran program. So there were there were some few employees at Excel that read about the technology. Um, and decided that they wanted to research it and explore it and understand it more. And it turned into, uh, you know, a secret task force within the company where, you know, we did a lot of research and, and really tried to understand what the uses were. And I was part of that team. And so um, at that time, uh, we started looking at it back in 2013-14 timeframe and some of our engineers played with them in our at our plants. So they actually, instead of building scaffolding inside of our plants, they decided, well, why not fly a camera or fly a drone to take a look at some of these infrastructures and walls? And, and that's kind of how our program started was it was employee-led, homegrown, built from the bottom, and you know, has now grown into an enterprise-wide effort where we uh, we run operations across eight states. So I, I also really love that story of a, an employee-led initiative. So thank you yeah. both again for your time. Um, this has been really fun for me. I look forward to working with both of you more in the future on using UAS in the electric power sector more. 
that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.